You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund. Wednesday, week four of spring practice 2021. Practice today was in the stadium. We had some live sessions. We had some, uh, you know, just a lot of different situational type stuff. But I think the thing that stood out today was just uh, probably the most high energy practice we've seen all spring, Chris. It was super competitive. Um they had the. They had another for anyone that went to the the scrimmage. Was it last Saturday or Saturday before, where they had the lockout, the red zone lockout? So it was two. Yeah. So essentially, they did that again today, and to me, it was even more high energy and more competitive than the one, the first one, because the defense seemed to run away with that one in front of the fans on that Saturday, whereas today, I think they won twenty to fifteen. So the, 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 the offense got some touchdowns. They, you know, uh, Sam Heward drove the threes all the way down to the final play of the period, um, tried to get it to Quentin Moore in the end zone, wasn't able to. McAllistine had him covered. And so, yeah, so basically it was down to the very last play of, the, of that particular period um, that got the win for the defense. So I thought overall that was super, super um, high energy, super competitive. It was funny. I was actually packing up right after that play, and Alex Cook, who, didn't practice today, but he was on the sidelines all practice. He just he just looks at me and goes, "Chris, defense did you dub defense doing it again?" You know, it's like, okay, first of all, what are you talking to me for? <laughs> and second of all, yeah, it was super competitive. I enjoyed that thoroughly. I thought it was a lot of fun. And again, Scott, you know, it's as much energy as we've seen all spring. Yeah, I I mean, I I think there's been other energized practices, but yeah, I mean, it was right up there. Um, and. You know, it, what's funny is sitting where we sit, you know, Chris, you were sitting down on the other end, and but we sit in the, the gaggle of, of media guys, and people are making observations and talking a lot, and, ooh, I see this, I thought saw that, oh, that was a nice play, whatever. And um, but you can you can definitely see that things were a little amped up and and that the players were were pretty high energy. I thought Savelle Smalls looked good today. I thought he had some energy after missing. I mean, I know he was working out on Monday, but um, I haven't seen him in full pads in yeah, a while. In a while, basically since he sacked Dylan Morris. Yeah, basically. So um, you know, overall though, I thought. Uh, it was it was a good practice. I thought the offense had a few moments here and there, but the defense definitely won the day. Was, we had a skirmish as well today with uh, who was that? Lola Hea and Corey Luciano. Uh, oh Corey, yeah, no. Corey Luciano seems to be in the middle of a lot of the skirmishes. Well, the O line and D line they had some good one on ones today. Um, definitely very competitive, high energy as well. The fact that Zion Tupola Fatui was there. Um, rolling around doing his thing with his scooter, I think that gets all. I guess the defensive guys amped up a little bit that he's still obviously with them, still still completely invested in what's going on. Um, he was calling out some of the offensive linemen that he he wanted to go up after, um, and people won't probably know this guy, Gage Hardy, one of the offensive linemen, the walk-ons. He's playing some right tackle for them, and um, he was out on that end, and Zion was kind of chatting it up, chatting it up, chatting it up. And I think Gage at some point just had enough, and he's like, "Stop talking! He's like, don't, don't." He goes, "Watch out, man! I'm gonna go! I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit your wheel!" 
if you don't watch out. It's like so so clearly they're they're going after it a little bit. And um, I know the offensive line also didn't appreciate the fact that Dom Hampton took down uh, Cameron Davis during one of the during one of the live periods, where I think it was actually just a rap peer, a rap tempo play or a thud tempo play. It wasn't like fully live, and yet Dom Hampton um, gave Cam Davis a little love touch and and a uh, little love push and. Uh, the offensive line didn't like that at all. So, yeah, I, can, I think the, they know that they're getting to the end of it. And I think the, also the other thing is, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but with the spring game coming on Saturday, the teams have been split. So they kind of know who they're going to be playing, who they're not going to be playing. And I think some of the internal stuff's already yeah. playing out. I was going to bring that up. They yeah. had the draft last night. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. But uh, I think the smack talk and for the spring game yeah. with the draft being it held started. last night, yeah, it's. I think that had something to do yeah. with it. And while fans, fans think the fights are good, coaches absolutely hate that stuff. They don't want punches being thrown and stuff. But, you know, since uh, Chris Peterson's been here, skirmishes have been probably, you know, not few and far between. But, you know, sometimes they just need to let it out. Well, they want him. They want him amped up, and and Jimmy, you know, he's going to break it up as quick as possible. But inside, he's doing handsprings because he wants these guys to be that fired up. And you know, like Jordan Lolohea, who I thought had a really good day. And again, not trying to jump ahead, but you know, he was a situation where he ran into Patrick <coughs> O'Brien, and he wasn't trying to hit him, but he ran into him because it, I think it was either a false start or something like that. So not everybody was on the whistle, and he kind of knocks him down a little bit. And, and Jimmy's going right to him. He's like, Jordan, don't do that. You know. Just, be aware of what's going on. So, yeah, energy's running high and stuff like that, but they do have the mechanics that they have to worry about. We saw a lot of things that were going on in terms of penalties and other things that we'll talk about, but they've got a lot of things they need to clean up and just be aware of in general. Well, the and, uh, you know, I was sitting next to Hugh, and he couldn't believe they allowed Dylan Morris's arm to get hit on that throw to bookie Radley Hiles that he, and he, that he picked off. Because, I mean, the thing just fluttered, and, and he was like, would that have ever ever happened? You know, guys would have been kicked off the field for stuff like that. And yeah. he goes, it's just obvious this is a defensive-minded staff that, that, you know, they have a defensive coach, and he's like, whatever. Well, you know, it's and Lake clearly, yeah, Lake clearly loves the idea of just yeah. going out and playing. Yeah. And like, let's see how much you guys know. Let's mm-hmm. see not only how much do you guys know, but how can you? How do you react under pressure? How do you react under stress? And I asked him in the in the post practice gaggle about how do the coaches deal with that too? Because John Donovan, we were there. John Donovan talked about how much it screws with him in a good way. That all of a sudden he's got to put on his coordinator hat because he, he they go into immediately into a special situation where now it's like okay, wait a second. It's we're at the forty yard line. We got two minutes to do this. I've got my two minute hat on. I've got to figure out we've got how many timeouts, and it's just like a frenzy. And Lake wants the chaos. He wants the chaos ball because he wants to see how these guys perform and how much they can just go out and play. So that 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 will tell him how much they've actually absorbed what they've what they've worked on. And that's a good point, you know, just creating that chaos because you know we've seen practices over the years where it's just the same thing and they're doing the same thing and it's just repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. And these guys can pretty much do it in their sleep. You know, and it just seems like when they start to get in that groove of the repetitiveness, Jimmy Lake's going to throw a monkey wrench in the whole thing and just blow it all up. And, you know, it's it's like that old saying, you know, he's trying to make them comfortable with being uncomfortable and being able to adapt to any situation on the fly. But it sure seems like at times he's trying to create chaos. And as you brought up, not just to the players, 
but the coaches too, because yeah. their heads have got to be on a swivel. What's coming next? Yeah, like he and said. Sometimes he's just making it up on the fly. Yeah, like he said. I you know I love talking to you guys, but I can't wait to go up with the coaches and watch the tape right now to see what we need to work on, what we need to clean up, but more importantly, what didn't I see in terms of all the stuff that was going on? Because he has got to he's got to keep his head coach hat on all the time too, because he's the one that's leading the special situation. He's the one that's got to remember. Okay, how many timeouts do we have? What would I do in this? What do I do in here? So not only is he leading the drill and trying to herd the cats, but he's also in his own mind thinking, I've got to figure out what I would do in this because ultimately it's going to be my job to figure out how to run this show on the sidelines if we're ever you know dealing with this special situation in a live game and he goes we can and we can put every special situation out there that we can think of you know coming out of the end zone from the one yard line they did that today you know going into the end zone from the four yard line with four seconds left in the game they did that they they tried everything in the books and he says i guarantee you there's going to be something that we've never seen before that was going to pop up in a game this year that we just need to roll with so again, go. It goes back to what you said, Kim. Being comfortable, being uncomfortable, because they have to understand there's going to be there's situations out there that's going to stress them, and they're just going to have to react and basically just lean on their training and what they're doing out there today and in other practices in order to make it all work. We're all going to have different opinions on things, but I think if you were to bring somebody in that knew football, Scott, into practice today who wasn't familiar with the team and tell them to pick the number one quarterback, boy, I think they would look at Patrick O'Brien real hard. Yeah, they probably would. It wouldn't surprise me at all if people thought that. Um, the the difference being that he – I mean, the, the thing is, the way he's playing now, great. How is he going to look after a summer here? How is Dylan Morris going to look after another, you know, his first, or I guess really his first, did he, he showed up early. So his second spring football um, at the University of Washington, but his first as the starter and, and uh, coming back and everything like that. But, um, you know, Sam Heward is obviously a two, three steps behind Morris and, and O'Brien, but O'Brien definitely is showing confidence out there. He's making some nice throws. Dylan Morris has his moments, but I ha- they've been fewer and farther between than O'Brien's have. Yeah, I mean, he he's played a lot of games. I mean, how many? He's played one? in 18 games, well, 12 He was starts. a two-year starter. Yeah, he yeah. was a two-year starter for Colorado State. And I don't know if he ever got into games at Nebraska or not, but I'm pretty sure – I'm not sure if he did. But the bottom line is, so they had – again, they had this, like, second and four drill from the four-yard line, four seconds left. He found the end zone both times that he was in there. And now they were down eight, so it was a touchdown and a two-point conversion that they had to do. Um, and But he was not able to convert the two-point conversions. There was only one quarterback today that did that. That was Sam Heward. Uh, we can talk a little bit about oh, that later, too. O'Brien should have had one. He should have. Now, yeah, McMillan didn't catch the one. But he caught – McMillan had a great catch, one-hand catch before on a hold, defensive hold. And then uh, O'Brien also had Taj Davis for a touchdown as well. Back of the end zone. Uh, back of the end zone. So – he, he again, when we've talked about it before, Kim, the only reason why I think O'Brien has probably had a better overall camp than a guy like Dylan Morris is that he's had to come from further back. He's coming in cold, but he's leaning on his own experience that he's had at Colorado State, and it's showing up because he's moving the ball, he's driving that whatever team he's working with, whether it's the ones or the twos, and he's being very productive while he's doing it, whether it's leading them into a position where they can kick a winning field goal or finding the end zone in these, like, you know, second and four from the four with four seconds left. 
Um, whatever situation you want to have, there's been very few where he hasn't had at least some measure of success. And when we look at those quarterbacks, you know, when – you take a look at the first day of practice and Dylan Morris just being Dylan Morris, but you take a look at day one to today, um, I think that Patrick O'Brien has been on a steady climb and he's gotten better every day. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, And I don't know and if I he's don't... necessarily gotten better. I just think he's gotten more familiar and, and more comfortable yeah. in, in, in what he's doing. You know, maybe that means that turns into more production as you go on, but I just, I just get a sense that you're really starting to see that veteran – presence and that experience that he had coming from Colorado State really starting to pay off for him because I think really at that point it was just simply a matter of terminology um, and really getting comfortable with the reads and the checks and and and, and the guys what, he's throwing to yeah because in a pro style system he's got to read everything at the line of scrimmage pre-snap and then figure out where where is my where is my go-to where is my um, you know one-on-one situation where we have the advantage and so that's, that's very difficult to do when you're dealing with brand-new terminology. He understands the overall concept. It's just getting into timing. And I also would say during that second and four uh, special situation, they had a false start on the first one, mm -hmm. and he found Taj Davis. The second one, they had a delay coming out of it mm -hmm. and still were able to find, was able to find Jalen McMillan. So they not only is he making it happen, but he's doing it after some unforced errors, which I know they're going to have to clean up I for made, sure. I made, some, I made a comment on both of those because he got a penalty before he threw both of the yep. touchdown passes. Yep. I just said he wanted more room to work with because they were on the four, and they ended up on the nine. Ironically, yeah. ironically, it probably did help them. Yeah. But I guarantee you the coaches aren't going to look at it that no. way. What's interesting is I think they – it's not the same tool set for each one of the quarterbacks. Dylan is a lot more mobile, and when plays break down, he's able to move out of the pocket and make things happen a little bit more. But, you know, from my eyes, it just seems like O'Brien is more effective in the red zone. And I, talk, and I mentioned this earlier this week where, you know, when you get down inside the 10 in the red zone when you're 6-1, is there an advantage to being 6-5 and in those close quarters? And, you know, Hugh said absolutely. You can just see things more clearly. But, um, you know, just they bring a little bit different skills set mm -hmm. yeah i i don't know how to i don't know what else to expand on it i i agree with you completely on that I, I think there is there is obviously some merit to the idea that he's going to be able to see things clear at six five as opposed to a six foot quarterback mm -hmm. in the heat of the battle and i think instinctively over his years of playing dylan morris has had to find those lanes and a lot of times he's had to either go back or circle around and find those out on the run and so he may be actually better on the run sometimes. But, yes, when the, when the pocket starts to collapse and, and, and you want the quarterback to step in or step through, it seems like O'Brien is just – he's more geared toward it because he can, he can continue to see things while the pocket is still around him instead of having to think, okay, i got to figure out where's my escape route and then I can start going back and looking down the field. You guys pay more attention to the details than I do obviously, but when you guys are taking a look out there, is it pretty evident that they're splitting the reps with those two between the ones and the twos? Not, not no, to not me. today. Uh, not today, he they was, didn't. O'Brien was almost exclusively yeah, with the twos. Yeah, and, and in the past, they have split them. Mm -hmm. So to me, for, for the fans out there that are trying to figure out, okay, what are the two deeps looking like? If you went and you went to every practice that you could as a fan and you were watching and you were paying close attention – to who was playing with who, 
you would find out that there really is no rhyme or reason from the outside looking in. Now, the coaches know it all. I mean, they, the coaches script this stuff out specifically. But then you also have to account for the guys that are hurt. So, like, for instance, if you're looking at the number one right side on the offensive line, they, don't, they didn't have Henry Bainavalu today. They, didn't have, they haven't had Vic Kern for the last few practices. So right now you've got Ju, uh, Julius <coughs> Bulow playing at right guard, and you've got Matteo Mele who's playing at right tackle. And so you've got, to, you've got to understand that you're not playing with your starting right side at this point if you're the number ones. So it's, sometimes you're mixing and matching. Sometimes your hand is forced into, in, into what you can use. And that's why they haven't necessarily been able to double up a lot of their team reps lately because they haven't had full offensive lines that they could use. That's why they've had to use a guy like Roger Rosengarten at the one right tackle sometimes, and then the number three left tackle when they're trying to double these things up so they can keep the lines somewhat, yeah. you know, somewhat reasonable. But right now they don't have Benavalu. They didn't have Kern. Miles Morale missing in action. We don't know what's going on with Miles. So there's, there's, guys, that, there's guys that are out, and that's going to happen as you go further and further uh, into practice. Like for defense, for instance, they haven't had Alex Cook for a while. Asa Turner who was there yes uh, on on Monday was not here at all today so who knows i mean it it's you, you're a lot of times if you're a coach you're you're waking up in the morning going okay who do we have to work with and then based on who we have to work with that's how you game plan and and, and sketch it all out and with sam he's still struggling he's still you know just drinking water you know, I, I say not through a fire hose, but, you know, what do they call that big thing that's on top of the fire engine? You mm -hmm. know, the big stainless steel water gun. He's drinking it through the water gun. But uh, he had more moments today and maybe, you know, some things to build on today. I thought so, for sure. I mean, to me, and I know Scott probably disagrees a little bit, but I really thought that this was one of the first moments where I've seen Sam kind of break through a little bit. And it doesn't look like the moment is that big for him. Going forward, it feels like he can build off some things that he did well. Again, this second and four with uh, basically four seconds left in the game, down eight. Um, he was the only one of the three quarterbacks that uh, that scored. He, he threw a perfect fade to Taj Davis. Um, I mean, he couldn't throw it any better. And then um, it was a good job by Davis. I, his and then he was able to buy. And then he was able to buy some time on the two point conversion. That's the only re reason he was able to to convert it. And he found him. In the, in he found Polk. it. Yeah, he found Polk in the back of the end zone. Um, for a nice score. I mean, I poke, I think he obviously did a good job in the scramble rules. But um, And then the final period of the, of the lockout, which basically was like if the offense wins this one, they win the whole thing. If the defense wins this one, the defense wins the whole thing. So it was, it was all or nothing. And they were going straight backwards. I mean, the run plays weren't working. I mean, that was one you talk about, Kuapehopa. He just lit up yeah. some guy. And then I think Lolohea and... Was it Lola Hand, Ben Hines, I think, got a touch sack yeah. combined yeah. for a touch sack. So, I mean, Sam was just – I mean, he was going backwards, backwards, and then he throws like a 24, 25-yard pass to Quentin Moore uh, for a first down. And it was like that thing was not pretty. That thing was an absolute duck. But I'll tell you what, it found its target, and that's the most important yeah. thing. And he took him all the way down to the final play of the period – and he had Quentin Moore. If and if it's just Fingertips. he threw it, he threw it too high. It just, it yeah, it was high. just it's just one of those things where if it just over time Hit the hands. he's gonna he's gonna complete mm -hmm. that pass. He's gonna complete that pass. Right now he's having struggling. He's struggling to do it under the gun when when the when the heat's really on him. 
But I guarantee you, I saw moments where it's like, okay, he, he's he definitely he's ha- getting comfortable. He definitely has some moments that he can take and, and, yeah. and yeah. film and build on, as opposed to just constantly making mistakes. This time a week ago, yeah. I would not have been saying these yeah, things. Yeah, and I will I will grant you that he had he made some plays today. I just and more plays than maybe he's been making in in practices. Uh, to me, but, absolutely, but. I still didn't see a guy who. I mean, it. Well, let's be clear. Let's just, be clear. Yeah. Let's be clear, clear, Scott. There is a there is a total pecking order right now. Mm-hmm. There is a one or one A, and you can pick it. Dylan Morris, Patrick O'Brien, flip a coin, put their numbers in a hat, and pick whichever one you want. And then number three by Grand Canyon by by a significant distance is Sam Heward. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I'm just saying, I finally thought I saw moments where he was able to come up for air a little bit. Yeah. Instead of him just swimming under, you know, under the water for a long, for a long stretch so far this okay, spring. I I might not completely agree with it, but I I see your point a little more than our pre-podcast discussion where I was like, "What? Well, <laughs> so, are you going to like pummel me into submission?" I could <laughs> turnovers. Um, you know, I take a look at this defensive secondary, and I just look over there, and I I just think that. Why do I get the feeling that John Schneider is looking at the entire defensive secondary and go, I want that guy, that guy, that guy, and that guy. But they all just look the part. I mean, guys that you know aren't with the number ones, but I'm telling you, Jacoby Covington looks like a guy. James Smith looks like a guy. Mikel Esteen looks like a guy. Elijah Jackson. I mean, you take a look at the size of that cornerback yeah. room and what they look like. Have you ever seen a cornerback room that looks like that, that? No. I mean, uh-uh. I, know you, I know you've been a big Covington fan for a while well, he was now. Play, he, was playing all th- he was playing safety. Well, well that's what I'm going to ask you. I mean, yeah. what position do you think is his best? Because I think, personally, for me, it's safety, but he's gotten so many reps at corner, and he's done such a good job at corner, I wonder if now they're having second thoughts as to where they where they want to see him. Well, uh, the thing is, their their cornerback room from a scholarship standpoint is not very deep. If because they've moved him to safety, yeah, ain't I like mean, Dom Hampton. Yeah, yeah, and and like Dom Hampton. So really, there's only four scholarship guys at the outside corners, and that's Gordon and McDuffie, and then Jackson and Smith. And then you've got Bookie at the and Fabi Kulanen at the nickel, yeah. but those guys aren't going to play outside. They're going to play inside, so they're going. They need guys to step up on that outside. But what I found interesting was I asked Jimmy today, and 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 you'll you guys you'll have this a little bit later, Chris. But yeah. I asked him about the um, secondary and comparing this secondary and the talent level and where they're at to the 2016 secondary and with Buda Baker, Sidney Jones, Kevin King, Taylor Rapp, those kind of guys that were and Miles Bryant and and uh, uh, Jojo McIntosh, you know, I mean that was a deep one probably one of the best probably top 5 secondaries ever in the in the program history yeah. from a talent standpoint and and guys playing in the NFL, five of those guys are playing in the NFL now. So and, and Ezekiel T- Turner is another one that was there, and he's playing linebacker in the NFL. So um, a lot of real uh, talent. And then he said, he said from a talent standpoint, I think they're right there. But safeties not as experienced, but they have talent. Corners, he thinks that McDuffie and Gordon are ahead of where Sidney Jones and Kevin King were coming into that season. So. 
very impressed with with what that secondary looks like, and and it's probably one of the reasons why it's so hard for the for the offense right now to move the ball. But when you've got a guy like Covington, you know that you know you think is maybe better at safety. But when you go in and playing teams like USC, Ohio State, and Michigan, and they've got those six four, two hundred twenty pound receivers out wide, and you can move Covington out there. You gotta love that versatility because who who was it a while back? Where was it um, Arizona who had all those little smurf wide receivers? I, I don't think they had anybody over five ten. Yeah. yeah, but to be fair, it, they wouldn't be moving necessarily Covington over there um, right away. I think the guy yeah. that they would be moving right away is Don Hampton. Yeah. Hampton's the guy that has the has the experience at there, and he's also a guy that they employ as a gunner on cover teams, punt cover. With him, so you got him on one side, you got Gordon on the other side. Um, you know, so he, he's the guy. If, if you're really worried about matching up size on size, um, I, I, I think you can still put McDuffie or, or Kyler Gordon on any 6'3, 6'4 guy you want. I don't think it's a problem because I've seen Kyler Gordon do those 60 inch box jumps or whatever at Ford Sports during the offseason <laughs> that are just mind blowing. Um, so I don't think anyone's necessarily going to out jump that guy. Uh, but if you need size outside, you can do a Covington. But I think Dom Hampton has shown that he can also do it. And let's not forget about Cameron um, Fevikulanen. Yeah. Um, that's a guy that also has a lot of experience at corner. That just happens to be, you know, in a in a you know battle royale with um, Bookie Radley Hiles. And that to me has been the most fascinating um, position battle of all of those guys in the secondary because I think both of those guys have done an incredible job. Um, you know, Bookie with two picks today really showed out and did a phenomenal job. But, you know, Cameron, they've got two totally different positions. They're two totally different body types. If you're, you know, if you're Will Harris, what are you, what are you looking at? How are you going to predict how that goes? Who had the interceptions today? Bookie had two? Bookie had two. James Smith had one. Covington had one. And Kyler Gordon. Kyler Gordon had one. Yeah. Okay. So it was, I mean, it was, that's the thing. And, and we've... It almost feels like it's new guys every day because on Monday, who was it? Esteen had a pick. And I mean, you can go by almost every other practice and find new guys that have had interceptions. And that, that uh, best hands in the room, I think that's going to be a really interesting battle. Who was it who had the interception for 100 yards and was running it? That was Bookie. With, Bookie. With, with Corey, 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 Corey Luciano chasing yeah. him, and Bookie yeah. was just kind of taunting him yeah. and reaching the ball back. He held the ball out for but him. But I'll tell you what, it'll <laughs> yeah. tell you a little bit about Luciano because I. Mean, not only is Luciano the, the number two center right now, that they, re, they, like, they want to get him on the field. It wouldn't surprise me, to be honest, if, if Benavalu ever did not see time during the season because there's no reason he won't play. I mean, I, I don't know why he wasn't playing today, to be honest. He wasn't he was even out, dressed. He, was, he, he wasn't, wasn't dressed, dressed, but he was yeah. out there. Yeah. And, um, but I could see Luciano playing right guard, some, some if, too, and, and them being totally happy with that. His athleticism, I think he's, he might be the best pure athlete on that offensive line because he's an up man, too. On their punt, on their punt covers. That's it, ridiculous. And he played tight end. Yeah. And fullback. Yeah. It just seems like if there's a skirmish out in the field, Luciano's always in the middle of it. Yeah, they they do a good job. I think Bulo has been involved in a couple of them as well. Um, so yeah, no, they, there's certainly some guys out there that like to mix it up. Penalties today. Yeah, a lot of offensive penalties. A lot of uh, false starts, delays, the delays too. And, yeah. The delays are yeah. uh, that. To be honest with you, false starts. Yeah, it's not great. Um, and some of them are because the defensive line is so aggressive and they're bringing guys. It feels like every time they're bringing someone from somewhere. Um, so that's going to play with their heads. 
But to be honest with you, I would if if I was John Donovan, the thing that that I'd be pulling whatever hair I still have left on my head out is those delays. They're, yeah, the delay game. I mean, you it's just brutal. Well, and and a couple of the I saw at least two of the false start penalties were on receivers. Yeah, one was on Polk on the. Uh, you know, ball at the the end, the last play of the game thing yeah. situation, and he gets called for for flinching, and he was he kind of looked like he was like, "What did I do?" But I mean, they called it, and that's so. the other thing. Like like I was watching guard Memolar in the one on ones, and and he looked phenomenal. I mean, he just was locking guys up, pancaking them, looked really good doing it, and then he gets into those you know that late drill situation where the pressure is on, and you got to be spot on, and your communication's got to be on point. And he false starts, and it's just right out there. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, you just go, "What are you doing?" You know, it's like, it's it's so hard for these first year guys to mm-hmm. like get in it and just, okay, how do I react? Well, especially these guys like Guard Memolar, who never got a, right. I, he never got a spring ball last year. He never even really got a fall camp. I know yeah. they, I know they had practice, but it, it isn't the same thing where nope. they're throwing you in these situations, you know, and and. uh so yeah, this is really. I mean, it it was just when Jimmy started spring, and he and he said, like half of our roster hasn't even been through a spring practice yet, yeah. because anybody who showed up after the 2019 spring football. So, and what do they have? Two or three early enrollees for that. Anybody who showed up in June of that year, this is their. Fr- so we're talking two almost two full years since they had spring football, and. And this is their first one. And I just, I just thought about this too, Scott. I was just more to the point. Mm-hmm. Remember the four games that they played last year? They still played in front of nobody. Yeah. So this is literally when they go live sometimes, and Lake, Lake does the thing where he wants them to kind of go live close to close to the end zone, or maybe on third and shorts, or those types of things where he wants to see how they really react. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are the first real live snaps where they've played in front of people ever. At Washington, that's really scary to think mm-hmm. about, especially with those guys that have been here, you know, eighteen months or whatever. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the first time that they ever play live in front of people at Husky Stadium or have some live snaps is literally in front of a few hundred people mm-hmm. in the stands. It's like, okay, yeah, that can add a level of of anxiety anxiety to your yeah, and maybe bump you know bump the blood pressure up just to, just a little bit more. And all of a sudden, you get a little flinchy and. You see a couple guys coming at you, and you're like, okay, here we go. And it's like, no, false start. We talk about you know some of the struggles the offense have had, but I think the thing that maybe we don't talk about as much is this is a really good defense, and they're mm-hmm. making it really difficult. Yeah, they're going to do that, and and that's what people need to realize is this is going to be a good defense. I Really I, good defense. I, yeah, I mean, I don't want to overhype it a little too much because we haven't seen them against a, a team yet, but – um, they look good. They've got athletes. They got. They've got size. They've experience. got length. They've got experience. You know. But there's some. There's some guys who aren't experienced. I mean, look, Kyler Gordon looks great, but in the one time that he got a chance to start, he didn't look so great last year. Or not last year. I'm sorry, in 2019, and he lost his spot to Trent McDuffie. So um, you know, has he? He got some things done last year, but he wasn't the starter. He was more in the rotation. You're talking about Ryan Bowman on one end, but then, okay, it's possibly Jeremiah Martin. It's possibly Braylon Trice. It's possibly Savelle Smalls, maybe even Jordan Lillehale or or Cooper McDonald. You're talking about guys who've never started a game at the University of Washington, you know, in college, 
um, you know, out there on that other end. You're, you're talking about, okay, you got Taki and Thule who've started games, but um, the, made, the, the guys in the rotation, Thule led to No. I'm sorry, um, uh, Fa'o Tui Tuatele. No, Jacob and, Bandis. And, yeah, Jacob Bandis and possibly Kuo Pehapa yeah. and some of these other guys haven't played very much. Yeah. And it's just, you just don't know what you have the, yet. The spine is fairly experienced. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about, yeah, but beyond their ones, mm. they're not experienced at all. Yeah. Because, you know, you could have your spine of, like you talked about, you got Taki, you got Thule, you've got Eddie, you've got Sermon, and then in the back you could have Turner, you could have Williams, you could have, mm. you know, those, those, those guys have played, and they've played mm-hmm. a bunch. After that, it gets very dicey very quickly. But one thing from I from an experience standpoint, from an experience yeah. standpoint, yes, for sure. But what I would say is, when you're playing against yourself, because you talked about how that you know the, the offense may be struggling because the defense is great. Well, Chris Peterson brought up the conundrum that every head coach faces In when spring. you're playing against yourself, yeah. spring or fall. And that is it because the defense is that great, or is it because the offense is sucking? And if the offense makes a great play. Is it because they made a great play, or is it because the defense sucked and they gave up? You know, like I saw some fans on that sixty-yard uh, play, the Jalen McMillan, mm-hmm. where he scored, and we told him, "Is like, yeah, the guy took a bad angle and he picked it up." And like, people were like, "Oh, we were so excited, so excited!" Until we actually saw the video, and we were like, "Oh, that was that was a that was a uh, you know come down." Like coverage, we just yeah. yeah, we didn't. That wasn't anything. That was no big deal at all. He didn't even catch it right, and like okay. So, but the bottom line is, when you're playing against yourself, who knows if it's because the defense is great or it's because the offense sucks? I think it's obviously probably a little bit of both. Um, but there's no doubt that when it comes to stressing them out, Lake wants to stress this offense out, especially at the offensive line. He wants them to see all guys coming from all different angles. He doesn't want just four-on-four guys. He wants to see six guys in the line of scrimmage, seven guys coming in and out because he wants those guys to be stressed because he knows that's what they're going to see once the season hits. Well, I think the biggest difference you're going to see, which I think the unit that's improved the most this year, I think the interior defensive line guys have just, I think they've grown up. Well, to be honest with you, Kim, I <laughs> And this is not to discount your, your opinion because it's fair, and I think that they've done some great things. It really helps when you have an extra guy in there. Yeah. And they run an extra guy in there all the time. So it's not just like the base four two five that we've seen uh, in the past with the base nickel. They're running a lot. Like when I was talking to Coach Barrett about it, he goes, they're running a lot of 50 front right now. They're running a lot of three guys in there. So it's not just Taki and Thule, but it's also usually with Tuatele. Well, who did, or it's usually with Bandis in there. Well, who did Jimmy say he had to hold back the most this spring? Was it Taki? I don't know. Yeah. You tell me. No, I, th- no. <laughs> I thought you were asking me a rhetorical no. question. No, I mean, was it, well, isn't it Taki? He said, you know, he's kind of just had to pull him back. Oh, the I don't intensity. doubt it. Yeah. I mean, he's you know, 320, 325 now, and he's running around. But he knows what he's doing now. Well, yeah, absolutely. well all those guys should know what they're doing by now. I mean, those, those two guys for sure. But the bottom line is, when they're Bob Gregory, we can go back to the very first time we talked to Bob in spring, and he said, what was priority number one after, this, after the season when they did the autopsy? He said it was to stop the run. Stop the run. We have to figure out how to do it. And, then, you know, and we're going to hear fans all, you know, after that Stanford game, everyone's like, 
I hated that third and whatever, third and long, when they were still running just the two inside tackles, and that's all they had. And Of course, you just put an extra guy in there, and it makes it sound so simple. But I'm telling you what, that's exactly what they're doing right now, and they're stopping the run in those, in those live periods. The guy who's flashing is the freshman. I've seen some really nice things. Um, Pehopa? How do you pronounce it? Quo Pehopa. He's he just seems to have a long body, short legs, leverage, yeah. and he seems to move real had, well. Had two sacks today. Got in the backfield a lot. Was got a running play. Got stuffed a running play up the middle. Yeah, I mean, he's, how big is he's he? Looked really good. He was, I think, it was six three, two ninety five, three hundred, something like that. Looks bigger. Uh, yeah, I think he's bigger than that now. But that's what I think we had him listed. That's really that a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he like Sam. He should still be in high school, right? Yeah, he's he was an early enrollee. He actually showed up in yeah, he showed uh, up January. in winter. Yeah, yeah he, he showed, showed up, up in, in January, and then Voy uh, Tanufi uh, looked has looked good at times too. Although he looks small, doesn't he, Chris? When he's, he's definitely out there. smaller. Yeah, I mean compared to Payopa. Yeah, because he's sure. two seventy five. He's about six one two seventy five. Yeah. So Payopa's can... listed at six three three twenty on the official okay. roster. Okay, and Tanufi is listed at two seventy. Yeah. Six one two seventy. Yeah. So they really are two different body types, mm-hmm. and in some ways they're kind of they're kind of in the way that that um, Taki and, T- and Tuli came in because Taki was the one that was always the bigger guy because they were thinking of even using him on offense mm-hmm. potentially when he came in guard as a guard because he was a lot of people thought he might be he a better a, offensive. He player. was an all state guard in, yeah, in, in, in high Utah. School. Had a chance to talk to Jimmy after practice, and uh, they held their draft last night for. Uh, the spring game, and it was uh, Kate Otten and Jackson Kirkland who were captains in drafting, and I asked him who the number one overall draft pick on that was. Jimmy declined. He he didn't bite, but, uh, you know, that's why I think we saw a little bit more hyped-up energy. But, uh, you know, did they are they going to release the teams tomorrow, did they say? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just hoping we get a roster. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm hoping for. Yeah, because it's, yeah. it's going to be difficult to literally try to break down 100 plus guys and figure out who's on each team because that. Well, I think one's going to wear purple and one's going to wear white. Well, no, 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 no. But I'm talking about in terms of the numbers, trying yeah. to make sure that you've got every guy locked in. Yeah. And knowing which team they were on. Yeah. Also, asked Jimmy if uh, there was a scenario like I asked, you know, Coach Donovan, if there was a scenario where he could see playing two quarterbacks and who makes that decision. And he didn't bite on that either. Yeah, he said way too early to make that call. And he did it without profanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you caught him quite as off guard as you did with John Donovan on that question. Yeah, so I don't think Jimmy's going to bite on that one for a while. Anything else uh, Jimmy said that stood out? Well, like I mentioned earlier on the secondary, that he thought that this secondary, from a talent standpoint, was right up there with the 2016. I I guess I didn't expect him to say anything different, but I think he's actually telling the truth. I don't think that's coach speak. Yeah. I think it's actually uh, true. Um, but you know, I mean, if this if this secondary can be that good, whew, this is going to be a really good defense. Yeah, um, I also I also I think his comments on Elijah Molden because I mean we asked him some draft related stuff. This is the last time we're going to get a chance to talk to him before the draft, which starts tomorrow, uh, Thursday, and. You know, just his his thoughts of, of Molden and how he's so talented and so versatile that he could he could play anywhere that a, that a defensive coordinator would want him to play doesn't really matter. I mean, he thinks that you know Nichols probably the spot he should be playing, and I think that's probably the feedback that they've been getting for him. 
But he goes, he can play corner, he can play safety. It's no big deal. He's done it all for us. And, um, you know. I, th- I think Jimmy's going to get a text from Keith Taylor, and it's going to go, damn it, coach, I wasn't a two-star. Because mm-hmm. that's about the second or third time he's yeah. called well, Keith they, Taylor a two-star. Does, the context of that, <laughs> that he never, ever adds, because it doesn't help his narrative at all, is that Keith Taylor was a two-star because he committed to Washington. Like, he wasn't a two-star, two, though. But it, but it, even, it doesn't matter. He's a four. But, <laughs> a four. But even so. But to me, it doesn't even matter because he committed to Washington like two years before he could even sign anything. I know. So He's, it's like, how, how is he yeah. expected to be? Well, let's put it this way. I think it sticks in his craw because I think Keith Taylor was, he was given more stars and then dropped down. As things went on, if I remember correctly, he was a four star because he committed and he and he and he played a little bit, but he he didn't yeah, kill but, you know he didn't kill it. But on the other hand, you know Jimmy, okay, so we rated him too low. Well, then you did a great job of developing it. I know, but, but it, <laughs> listen, listen, it's the same thing yeah. every every year yeah. for these coaches. Yeah, notice they, he and, doesn't and, talk and, about Elijah Molden and, stars. And the thing is, the thing or Shaq is, Thompson. The thing yeah. is, it's. It's not just Jimmy Lake. It's not just Chris Peterson. Yeah. It's every coaching staff from Nick Saban to, uh, to Steve Sarkeesian to Kyle Whittingham. They all are really excited when you rate their guys five stars because they, they announce it all. And they ridicule us for rating other guys lower. Yeah. And I, I keep saying, I keep saying it, whatever fits their narrative is what they're going to harp on. It isn't, it isn't unique to any coach. They all don't like what we do because they, the problem is, the, the other thing is, too, when it's a five-star, fans think that that means the guy is supposed to come in and start right away. And I don't think the coaches always like the fact that the fans think if a guy is a five-star and doesn't start right away, he's a bust. Because that isn't the case. Spring game, Saturday at 12.30. Tickets, evidently, were all sold out. But sounds like they may release a few more. Yeah. Yeah, it does sound like they're possibly tomorrow. They're reevaluating. They yeah, said. so keep an eye on GoHuskies.com. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it sounds like Friday at some point they're going to do that. They, we weren't given a time as yeah. to when they're going to get so, released. So just keep checking our site. Yeah. <laughs> Friday's practice um, from all indications sounds like it's pretty much just going to be a walkthrough. Yep. Yeah. And then um, also. Um, but I'll be here. Yeah. I won't be. I won't be. Okay. Uh, Scott, just, uh, just quickly, we were at an event last night with Tracy Ford and Air, uh, Ford Sports and Air Football with Reggie Jones. You had a chance to talk to a couple of the guys. Anything jump out? No, no. I'll have stories up tomorrow. Malik, Ag- Malik Agbo is big. Yeah, he's a big boy and very well-spoken. He wants to do – I asked him what he wants to major in. He said sports journalism and probably do like a sports broadcasting thing. Perfect fit. Could, would be a perfect fit there. And then the other guy I talked to was Josiah Wagner, a 2023 corner prospect out of Spanaway Lake, which actually is a real. They've got a chance to be really good in the what is it the PCL are in. So um, yeah, I, he he was impressive. Um, was wearing a green and yellow shirt um, when we were there with that said Oregon on the bottom and a big Nike swoosh. So, and I said, "Is there anything to read into that?" He goes, "Oh, I was just cleaning out my closet and." put the shirt on so yeah the only thing that jumped out to me and hopefully this doesn't sound too negative but Gabari Johnson for Jabari Jabari Johnson I know that he's got a lot of offers and a lot of excitement but man he is not very big no not very tall 
Um, and but I mean, he's talented. Is, is he, he's got great arm talent. Is, is he six foot? No, I don't think he's six. Is feet he? Tall. Is he over one seventy? Oh yeah, he is. But he's it's just, not. A, it's not a good over one seventy. I was he's still re- got some. I was really surprised how small he was. I was too um, when I first saw him. You know, I mean, still really nice kid, really gregarious, uh, great. But if we're if we're talking about why aren't you offering a guy like him? Because I don't know if he fits what they're looking to do. I if you look at who John, Do- I still think John Donovan would have offered uh, Sam Heward if he was the OC at the University of Washington when Sam was being recruited and everything. But that being said, um, I think. Donovan, if you look at who he's tried to bring in um, as walk-ons, guys that he's – because he was looking at a kid out of San Diego who was 6'5", 235 pounds. He brings in Patrick O'Brien who's 6'5", 6'6", 245 pounds. He wants a big guy. Yeah, but they also brought in Camden Sermon. Yeah, but that was as a walk-on, and that was a legacy guy and and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I think they want more guys that look like – Patrick O'Brien than they do guys who are on the smaller side. Yeah. We, we've gone way too long on this. No, so. we haven't. <laughs> well, no, I was going to ask you guys, since the draft is, starts tomorrow, what, where do you guys think that these guys are going to get drafted? I think since that they'll can... have three guys in the second round and Keith Taylor probably in the third or the fourth. Scott? I think there's a very slight chance someone could take a flyer on Joe Tryon in the end of the, thir- uh, end of the first round. So be paying attention tonight toward the end. Cleveland has really been look. I've heard he, they've really been looking at him. And Cleveland hasn't drafted this low. We could probably talk to Brandon Huffman because it's his favorite team. But I don't think they've drafted this low since Bernie Kosar was the quarterback. It's been a long time since they've drafted in the, in the 20s. So I think Joe Tryon has a chance to sneak up there. But I agree with Kim. I think Molden on Wuzurike and Tryon all go in the second round. I think Keith Keith Taylor's probably a third or fourth rounder. And I, for the record, I think Joe Tryon, I think there is a team that's going to take a flyer on him because he's such a freak athlete, and they can turn him into whatever. They can turn him into whatever they want to in terms of a rush guy. Bruce Irvin. I've used Bruce Irvin as a comp, not the player as a comp, but the situation as a comp. I totally could see another team doing like what the Seahawks did. So you think there's one first think, rounder and a I couple think of second one. I think there's one. I think Anzarike and Molden go early to mid-second, and I think Keith Taylor's either fourth or fifth. Right. Final thoughts, wrap it up real quick. Just I think everyone hopefully can you know check out Go Huskies again on Friday if you didn't get tickets for this game. Um, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope they do another lockout drill that was as competitive as it was today. Because that really showed both sides getting after it and and uh, giving us uh, some great entertainment and some guys making some great plays, but also plenty of mistakes that the coaches are. I know they're going to be eager to clean up. Scott Eklund, uh, I, I I agree with Chris. I think there's stuff to clean up. I think the offense is battling much better against the defense uh, throughout the day. I think I, I think one thing that people need to keep an eye on is that that number one quarterback spot because. While I think Dylan Morris probably is your starter for the Montana game and possibly the Michigan game, I I think that Patrick O'Brien is making things a lot closer than a lot of people thought it, yeah. he was going to make it. Absolutely. And so that'll be that'll be something to keep an eye on here for the spring game for people who haven't been out yet, but also over the summer and, and into fall camp. Chris, I hate to do this to you, put you on the spot, but uh What did I do? I, I, I don't know if you did it or not. Are we <laughs> 
we're running a promotion right now, aren't we? I think we're starting to run a promotion on Thursday. Okay, Thursday. I keep on thinking it's Thursday today. So we'll have a promotion. Well, he thinks it's Thursday too because he said something about the draft today. Okay. Watch yeah. the day on the draft. Yeah. Okay. It's been a long day. Yeah, I so. mean, we've been all over spring practice and nobody covers the team more than uh, the guys at dogman.com. We have a minimum of 120 stories a month. The Seattle Times doesn't do that. The Athletic doesn't do that. Nobody does that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so for those who've been loyal to us for a long time, we thank you. For those who aren't subscribers, Take a look at the site tomorrow morning. We'll have a nice promotion running. We will be all over the spring game on Saturday with post-spring uh, awards and breakdowns of every position. And Hey, Kim, real quick, also just want to remind people, we're going to have some good draft coverage, too, starting yeah. tomorrow. Um, Scott's got stories written up when these guys do get drafted. I've also got profiles that I'm putting together, including comments uh, made by Rob Rang. I did a conversation with Rob the other day. Um, had great stuff on all four of the guys that are expected to get drafted. So look for that stuff as well starting tomorrow. I know we're in the middle of spring football, but... Not the middle. Yeah, the, the end. end. <laughs> the end it's of amazing spring. how fast it's gone. Yeah. But, Unbelievable. But I'm get, telling you guys right now, keep an eye on the hoops board. There's some definitely some stuff percolating with the basketball program, with assistant coach, um, some probably player edition. I'm expecting one here pretty soon. Surprised it hasn't happened, but uh, there's some pretty cool stuff going on with the basketball program. So make sure and keep an eye on that hoops board. And if you're not around the boards all the time and you're wanting those breaking news alert as well as daily updates, just shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com. We will hook you up for all of us at dogman.com. I'm Kim Grinolds along with Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund. Go dogs. docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.